All right, welcome everyone. Y'all doing good? Can we give God some praise tonight? Come on. Come on, y'all. Let's give God some praise tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All right, well, I'm excited. I don't know about you, but I'm excited for tonight. Y'all excited? It's going to be a very, very interesting uh, teaching, very um, informative teaching, revelatory teaching for many of us. Um, we have uh, Rabbi Larry with us who is going to do a teaching on Passover and Seder. And um, for those of you that um, need some, uh, uh, ju- just some reminding of w- what we're doing as a house, we are really embracing this idea of set apart, um, holy, consecrated living, that we are called to be a people set apart from the world. Amen. And in order to do that, we're going to have to let go of some things and embrace some things that are not our westernized Christianity cultural norms. So in order to do that, I think one thing we can make a mistake sometimes is embracing something um, too quick without first getting the knowledge of it. So uh, I think it's amazing that Rabbi Larry has agreed to come for two Wednesdays, taking his time to bring some knowledge to this house so that we can really understand um, what these things are so that we can move forward in truly honoring um, our Lord Jesus. Amen. So um, I'm going to let him have the the night um, as he wants to do it and as he wants to lead it. So can we just stand in honor, uh, Rabbi Larry, as he comes and and brings the, the teaching tonight? Come on. Thank you. All right. So let me just um, first of all say what an honor it is to be here, what an honor it is to be asked for two weeks in a row to come. And just so that you know, um, so this week I'll do the Passover, say the next, next week what I'm going to do is the, uh, the seven feasts. So I'm going to tell you now, please, please, please bring your scripture next week. We're going to be doing a lot of reading, and it's going to be interactive. I'm going to be asking you guys to do the reading, and then I'm going to be asking you guys, you know, what do you think? So be prepared for that. This one won't be quite as interactive, but we will have Q&A afterwards. So hold on to your questions, and we will get to them. Now, let me introduce myself a little bit. Shalom. I'm Rabbi Larry Greenhouse. Uh, I'm the Messianic Rabbi at Karen Orr. I came down to Karanor in May of 2018 as the assistant rabbi. Uh, one year later, the rabbi who was there was called back to his congregation down in Florida where he grew up. And I was honored with stepping up into the, uh, the rabbi's position. The congregation, as I said, is started in May of 2014. Uh, it was a congregate. We are a congregation of Jewish and Gentile believers. That Yeshua, Yeshua being Jesus's Hebrew name, Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus Christ, is the one true Messiah for all people for all time. We believed in the triune nature of God, and during His time on Earth, was fully man and fully God. He is the Messiah that we read about in prophecy in the Old Covenant, and he fulfilled them all as we go through even the New Covenant. As a congregation, it's our mission to reach out to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Now, the Passover Seder is a celebration that has been going on for thousands of years, over 2,000 years, in fact. Synagogues have been doing it and they do it the same way, basically, over and over every year. 
But the question comes down to why, as Gentiles, should you care about the Passover Seder? Well, Leviticus 23.4 uh, says, These are the appointed feasts of Adonai, holy convocations which you are to proclaim in their appointed seasons. So you say, well, this is a, an old covenant scripture. We're new covenant people. Well, first of all, I won't go too far into that. But listen to what it says. It says, these are the appointed feasts of Adonai. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord. doesn't say these are the appointed feasts of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people should maintain them and hold them true. doesn't say that. It doesn't say these are the appointed feasts of all men, and the men should hold them. It doesn't say that. These are the appointed feasts of Adonai. They're his feasts. Why should we care? Because he's our Lord. So they're his, and as people of his, we want to care about the same things that he cares about. You say, well, okay, that sounds pretty good. Let me give you another piece of scripture. Colossians 2, 16, 17. This is Rav Shaul, Rabbi Paul speaking. Therefore, do not let anyone pass judgment on you in matters of food or drink or in respect to a festival or new moon or Shabbat. These are a foreshadowing of things to come, but the reality is Messiah. It says, in respect to the festivals, don't let people talk you out of them. Don't let people talk you down because you're holding on to the festivals that Adonai has appointed. This is Paul. He established his congregation there, a congregation there. And he says, these festivals you should keep. Don't let anyone talk you out of them. Why? They're a foreshadowing of things to come. And the reality is Messiah. These festivals are not just parties. They're signposts. They point us to Messiah, each and every one of them. You say, well, that's a pretty good reason to maintain the Passover festival feast. Got anything else for me? I do. Matthew 24, verse 17. Now on the first day of matzah, Passover, the disciples came to Yeshua, Jesus saying, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Jesus kept the Passover. That's how we know it's thousands of years old. Never mind other scriptures. Never mind other things that we have. Jesus kept the Passover. He kept the Passover here. In fact, we can definitively say that the, what the world calls the Last Supper was a Passover. So this is the reason that we keep the Passover as believers. Now, the Passover itself. The Passover Seder. Seder means order. So every year we do the same thing in the same order in the same way. And the way that we do it is a book called the Haggadah. So we go through the whole book, page by page if you're at home, 
and it gives us the order to do it. Now, this is the Maxwell House Deluxe Edition of the Passover Haggadah. So for you who may remember Passover, uh, the um, Maxwell House coffee, I don't know if they did it down here, but up in New York, if you felt bought a five-pound uh, five, uh, tin of coffee, they gave you a Haggadah in the stores, especially in New York, in the large Jewish populations. That's where they got them. Now, they still sell the Maxwell House Haggadah. Uh, so it's still out there. And we use it because it's a, um, an orthodox Haggadah. Orthodox rabbis put it together. Now, there are Messianic uh, Haggadahs that, I, that we could use out there. And that they point out, you know, uh, here's uh, Yeshua, Jesus, and here he is, and here he but we like to use an orthodox Haggadah. Why? Because by using their own words, by using an orthodox Haggadah, we still can show Messiah Yeshua throughout it all. And that becomes very important. You know, because if you use a Haggadah that's changed, all they're going to do is say, well, you know, now you changed it, so, you know, it's not the, it's not the original. But here it is. It's going to be a... Uh, a, a it's not going to be a messianic, but it's going to be an orthodox, and we're still going to see Jesus hidden throughout it all. And our job is to find him through it all. Now, if we were doing a, a, a Passover Seder at home, it could take all night. I'm meaning six hours of Seder, including the meal. When we do the Seder in the congregation, it takes us about three hours including about an hour for the meal. I'm going to get through this uh, Passover demonstration in about an hour. I'm not going to take that much time. So we'll have plenty of time afterwards, questions, comments, and all that kind of stuff as we go. So I uh, have my uh, Seder plate here. And afterwards, you are more than welcome to come up and take a look at it. I think it's a beautiful Seder plate, uh, as well as my, uh, uh, my goblet. So, there are seven elements to a Passover Seder plate. Let's go over them real quickly here, and then we'll go through most of them as we go through the Seder. We have the shank bone. Originally, it was a lamb's bone. They don't use lamb anymore. Uh, this one happens to be, I believe, it's a chicken bone. I don't know. They've been using them for so long, it probably doesn't belong to anything anymore. But uh, the reason they don't use a lamb's shank anymore is because they say because they don't do the sacrifice anymore, we don't use the lamb bone anymore. So they substituted it for a chicken bone. Okay. We have what's called moror or horseradish. We're going to come back to that. Next, we have the chorosette, which is a nice, sweet, whiny apple and nut mixture. We have our piece of parsley on our plate. We're going to use that. And we have a piece of lettuce and we have an egg. So let's use, let's point out the lettuce and the egg first. I can tell you I have no reason why they're on the plate. I don't know. I can tell you the egg, doing a little research, they say that, well, first of all, the egg is not mentioned in any of the uh, documentation until after the destruction of the second temple. So they believe, or at least this is what the rabbis say, 
It was a nice, convenient, easy way to carry a meal while they were going to Jerusalem for Passover. How it got from their backpack to the plate, I don't know, but tradition, it's on there. The piece of lettuce, the, set, the bitter herb, why it's there, I don't even have as good of an explanation as the egg for the piece of lettuce. So again, tradition, that's why it's there. It's not used, but it's there. That's all I can say about that. All right, let's get into the actual Seder. During the Seder, we drink from four cups of wine. To save space, we usually have just one cup. Um, this is my cup today. Okay. I totally forgot my cup. Here's my cup. So, in order to save space on our Seder table, instead of having four cups of wine, we have one cup, and we'll just sip from it each time it's time to take a sip of wine. So why four cups? Because Exodus 6 says the four I wills of Adonai. So let me read Exodus starting, uh, 6, starting in verse 6. Therefore says B'nai, say to B'nai Israel, say to is the children of Israel, I am Adonai, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you to myself as a people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am Adonai, your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So I will, uh, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and give it to you as an inheritance. I am Adonai. So when there are four I wills, they count. First is the I will take you out. That's the cup of uh, sanctification. Next, I will rescue you. That's the cup of plagues. I will redeem you. That's the cup of redemption or blessings. I will take you out. That's the cup of praise. And we'll talk about each one of them as we go, at least a little bit. So that first cup, the, the cup of sanctification, it is a cup that we bless him and praise him for sanctifying us by giving us his commandments. So we lift up our cup, as it may be tonight, and we bless it, and we say, Baruch Eloheinu melech Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. And we take a sip. So that's the first cup. Parsley. So our next element that we're going to be using is the parsley. Now, there are a couple of things about the parsley. Parsley symbolizes new life. So that's one of the reasons we're going to use it. The other is that it uh, kind of looks like the uh, hyssop that they used to take the blood from the lamb and put it on the doorposts and the lentil of, the, of your house so that the uh, angel of death would pass over it. Lost my spot here. Oh, we take the parsley. That's right. So we dip it into salt water. Why do we use salt water? Salt water represents the tears of Israel while they were in hard and painful labor for the, uh, as slaves in Egypt. 
So we take the parsley, we dip it into our salt water, and we say a blessing over it before we partake. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melchalom Adama. Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruits of the earth. Amen. Not a fan of parsley. I should call that one of the bitter herbs. All right. The next element that we get to is the matzah. So here's a piece of matzah. Matzah is a bread that was made by the people of Israel, when they, uh, but when they were leaving, they didn't have time for it to rise. Now, many people like to say they just didn't put yeast in their matzah, but that's not true. Back then, they really didn't have yeast. They just didn't have time for it to rise. Much like, what is it, sourdough now, where people take a piece, a piece of the bunch and they hand it to the next person and they use that for their... That's how, they be, that's how things rose back then, but it would take a day or two or three for their bread to rise. So when they were leaving Egypt, they didn't have time for it to rise, so it, was, so it stayed flat. When we look at it, we can see that it has stripes on it, that it's been pierced. In fact, if we hold it up to the light, we can see right through it, through the holes symbolizes for us today Yeshua Jesus we can see that it not just the symbolism but the prophecy of Messiah in Isaiah 53 it speaks of the one who is not beautiful well this piece of matzah if you if it was flavored correctly you might think it was beautiful but you know it's not that beautiful loaf of bread so it's not that beautiful thing that we're used to seeing it was pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah 53 says. It has the piercings in it so that we can see through it. It would bear the stripes so that we would be healed. And you can see that it has stripes on it. So for us, we can see the prophecy of Messiah within it, within the matzah itself. Now, before the, the Passover Seder started, we would take three whole sheets of matzah and put them into what's called a matzah tosh. That's just a matzah bag. Sometimes they're just wrapped up in, um, in a napkin, depending on how fussy you are. But in here, there are three pieces of matzah. So what we would do is we would take that matzah and we would take out the middle one, and we would break it in half. Hold on there. Matzah can be pretty crumbly, even there. We'd put half of it back into the middle, flip it in there. And then we take the other half, and we wrap it in a napkin, and we hide it. And I'm going to explain why. Everyone close their eyes. It's hidden. Sorry, someone's going to have to vacuum after me. Matzah crumbs all over the place. Well, of course, wrapping it and hiding it 
continues the Isaiah 53 of him being buried, wrapped for burial, and then being buried and hidden. Now, the rabbis say that the three matzahs are for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that doesn't really make a, a lot of sense to us currently, because why would Isaac, being that middle one, why would he be the one broken? Now, we know that when uh, uh, Abraham took Isaac up to the mount to be what he thought was going to be to sacrifice him, that Adonai actually saved him, so he wasn't really broken. Even if that was the case, though, we would have still been able to point to Yeshua uh, through this example. For us today, we obviously, when we think about this, we're thinking Father, Son, and Spirit. Ruach HaKadosh, the Holy Spirit. And that middle matzah being the Son, Yeshua, Jesus, broken for our, uh, his body broken for us. So we would take it and we would hide it just as he was hidden from us. And that middle piece is now called the afikomen. And we're going to get back to that. So don't let me forget it. Even though it's hidden, I don't see it. We're going to get back to it. The next thing that would come in our Passover Seder would be four questions. On Passover, there are four questions that are asked, and it would normally be done by the youngest person who could do it. They would be chanted in Hebrew and then read in English. The four questions give us an opportunity to recount the story of the Exodus. In Judaism, it's very important. We believe it's very important to remember and stories and songs are a great way of remembering. So on the Passover, we have our children chant the four questions so that we have the opportunity to, to, uh, to repeat the, the, the history over and over again, not just for the sake of the children, but for our own sake as well. Because we have to remember what went on. Because it's not just that we remember what happened to our forefathers. In Judaism, we believe that what happened to our forefathers happened to us. In Judaism, we don't say they came out of Egypt. We say we came out of Egypt. We were right there with them. We are a part of Israel. We are a part of God's people just as when you become a believer, you are part of God's people. You can now say, we came out of slavery. We came out of Egypt along with, uh, uh, along with the uh, Israelites. It's important not to forget because you know the old saying, those who forget history are doomed to repeat history. We don't want to go through those pains that Satan has inflicted upon our people and, has, and continues to try to inflict upon our people because it's Satan's desire, and I'll get into this in a little while as well, to try to wipe out the Jewish people. It's always been his desire. And we'll get back to that. So those four questions I was talking about, what are those four questions? Number one, why do we eat only unleavened bread on this night? Two, why do we eat only bitter herbs on this night? Three, 
Why do we dip twice on this night when on other nights we don't dip at all? And four, why do we only eat and drink reclining on this night? These questions are asked every year so that we can retell the story of Passover. And the questions are based on scripture. Exodus 13, uh, uh, Exodus 13, 14. So when your son asked you in times to come, what is this? Say to him, by a strong hand, Adonai brought us out from Egypt, the house of bondage. That is what all of Passover is about, remembering Adonai, remembering it was him who brought us out from bondage, remembering it's him who sets us free. That's what the whole night is for, just to remember who he is and what he's done for us. Now we're going to get to the ten plagues and the two cups and the second cup. During the Passover Seder, we recount the ten plagues that God inflicted on the Egyptians. When each of the plagues are said, we would customarily take our little finger, dip it into the uh, grape juice or the wine, and then tap our plate and leave a little dot on the plate. Or if you put your dot in the same place, leave a big puddle on the plate. Why? Because it's that visual remembrance of the uh, blood that was spilled of the, uh, of the Israelites by the Egyptians beating. It's also a visual remembrance of the plagues that Adonai inflicted upon the Egyptians. So what we would do is we'd dip our little finger and then we would say, blood, dip, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally, death of the firstborn. We remember the, the things that Adonai has done for us and against the Egyptians. But at this time, it's not just remembering the things, the miserable things that uh, were against the Egyptians for our sake. But the miraculous things that Adonai has done that God did for us, and as we read through them, there's a, there's a section in the Haggadah that, that I'm going to read for you, and it's, it's a whole section of basically saying, if he had done this only, it would have been enough. And that would have been enough uh, in Hebrew is dayenu. It's a joyous word. It would have been sufficient. If he had only done this, it would have been enough for that. So say it with me, dayenu. So I'm going to read a piece, and then you're going to joyfully say dayenu with me because it would have been enough. It would have been sufficient. So as I read through these, listen to all the things that Adonai did for the Jewish people and for all the people who came out of Egypt. If he had brought us forth from Egypt and had not inflicted judgment upon the Egyptians, Dianu, if he had inflicted justice on them and had not executed judgment upon their gods, Dianu, 
if he had executed judgment upon their gods and had not slain their firstborn, Dianu, if he had slain their firstborn and had not bestowed their wealth on us, Dianu, if he had given us their wealth and had not divided the sea for us, Dianu, if he had divided the sea for us and had not made us pass through on dry land, Dianu, if he had made us pass through its mist on dry land and had not drowned our oppressors in the sea, Dianu, if he had drowned our oppressors in, the, in it and had not supplied our necessities in the wilderness during 40 years, Dianu, if he had supplied our necessities in the wilderness during 40 years and had not fed us with manna, Dianu, if he had fed us with the manna and had not given us the Shabbat, Dianu, if he had given us the Shabbat and had not brought us to Mount Sinai, Dianu, if he brought us near to Mount Sinai and had not given us the law, Dianu, if he had given us the law and had not led us into the land of Israel, Dianu, if he had led us into the land of Israel and had not built the temple, Dianu. Did you get tired of saying Dianu? No, because the things he did was so marvelous for us. If he had done this, but not that, it would have been enough. It would have been enough. It would have been enough. But he was so great. He's such a good God. He's so loving, so merciful. He cares so much that he's done these 14 things. And we stop at the temple, but we could just keep going through our history. That if he would have done that, it would have been enough. It would have been enough. But that's who our God is. So we say Dianu with each one of those. Now we lift up the second cup, the cup of plagues. It's a cup that we do not drink from, but we will bless him for it. Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Now we come to the lamb, what I would consider the main course of our Seder, our main course of our meal. According to Exodus 12, verse 8, there were three essential items that must be present for every Seder. Exodus 12, 8 says, They are to eat the meat, which is the lamb, that night, roasted over a fire. With matzah and bitter herbs, they are to eat it. So there's really only three things that have to be out here in order for it to be a Seder. The matzah, the bitter herbs, and the lamb. That's it. But let's take a closer look at the lamb. That's the main course here that we're going to talk about. Starting in verse 3 of Exodus 12. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one lamb for the household. But if the household is too small for the lamb, then he and his nearest neighbors are to take one according to the number of the people, according to each, per, um, each people eating it. And you are to make your count for the lamb. Your lamb is to be without blemish, a year old male. You are to take it from the sheep or from the goats. You must watch over it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel 
is to slaughter it at twilight. So we see here that everyone, regardless of the size of the family, is to bring a lamb in. Could you imagine you bring this cute little baby lamb into your home? It has to live with you in your house for three days. Your children become attached to it. You start, you know, it's got these cute little eyes. It's a baby lamb. How cute is it? And then you have to take it out and sacrifice it. That's what's happened to our Messiah as well. The Messiah that we know and we love was sacrificed. But it was the blood from this lamb that was taken and put onto the doorposts of the house so that the angel of death would not enter in. Now we take notice that it doesn't say the Israelites are to take the blood and put it on the doorposts as an lentil of the house. It's anyone, everyone should take the blood and put it on the doorposts of the house. Because the magic isn't in being Jewish in Israel. The magic really isn't even in the blood. If you want to call it magic, and magic is not a great word to use, I, agree, I grant you. It's the faith in the one who gives the blood. Just like the faith in the one who gives Messiah Yeshua to us, that's what, that's what indicated that the angel of death should pass over our house. So it wasn't just the Israelites who were saved. It was anyone who had faith enough to put the blood on the doorposts of the house. And we know that other people did do it because Scripture tells us a multitude of people came out with them. So we can, we can know that some of the Egyptians by the, ninth and by the ninth plague, they knew who Adonai was, and they put blood on their posts, on their door frames. And there were multitudes of other people living in the area who said, this is what Adonai says, I have faith, I'm putting the blood up. And the angel of death passed over their house too, because that faith in the blood saves all who accept, Jew or Gentile, didn't matter. We know as believers that Yeshua Jesus shed his blood for all men. He is the Passover lamb. In John 1, we see what happens between John the Immerser, or John the Baptist, and Jesus. John 1.29 says, The next day, John sees Yeshua coming to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeshua is that Lamb of God who shed his blood for all of us. If, he had, uh, if we have the, his blood covering the doorposts of our heart, then the angel of death will pass over us. We will not have that spiritual death, and we will have entrance into heaven and eternal life. doesn't matter, Jew or Gentile. The matter is the faith in the blood. So now we come to the matzah, the horseradish, and the chorozet, or the maror, and that apple mixture that's on the plate. So 
we take a piece of matzah. There's gonna, we're going to use three pieces of matzah here. So we take the first piece of matzah. And the first one reminds us that Adonai is the one who gives us our daily bread. And we bless it. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melchalom, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And we take that piece. Amen. And now I know I should have taken a smaller piece. Okay. And we get to swallow. Next, we take another piece of matzah, and we put some aurora on it, some of that horseradish on it. Now, I know you guys love horseradish. I am not a fan of horseradish either. Oh, yeah? Uh, so, you guys may be too far away to notice, but I do have horseradish on it. <laughs> Man. This is to remind us of the bitterness of slavery and the sin that the children of Israel experienced in Egypt. So we say the blessing over it. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments and commanded us to eat the bitter herbs. All right, here we go. Eat that second piece with that bitterness on it. And if you take enough, or it's strong enough, not only does it clean out your sinuses, it brings a tear to your eye. And that tear reminds us of the grief and the bitterness of Israel while they were in slavery. It reminds us that they toiled in the hot sun of Egypt, making the great buildings for Pharaoh. We remember that back-breaking work that they had to go through. And next we come to the chorzet. This is a sweet apple mixture with um, nuts and honey. And we use it because what we're going to do is we're going to take our piece of matzah. I'll do this in a moment because I need two hands. We take our piece of matzah. We're going to put another little bit of horseradish on it. And then we're going to cover it with the chorzet. The chorzet really is two things. First of all, it has that kind of look to it, and you'll be able to come up later if you want and take a look at it. It looks like the mud that they would use to build the, uh, the bricks to make the temples and the buildings for, the, for Pharaoh. Doesn't sound appetizing, huh? Well, it's also a sweet mixture. It has honey in it. It has wine in it. And it reminds us that even in the most bitter of times, we can remember the sweetness and the hope that we have in our God. So now I'm going to take that third piece of matzah. I'm going to put some horseradish on it and the chorzet. Excuse me a moment. Okay. Get rid of that. A lot more of that. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's delicious stuff, too. And like I say, we remember the sweetness of the Lord. And we can have that. Now, I know you guys can't taste it, but not bad stuff. All right. Now we come back. Remember we hid that, thir- that, that broken piece of matzah. Don't know where it is. This would traditionally be the time we let the, the kids loose. We tell them, go find it. And they would go running around looking for it. Because the first one to find it would get a reward. Excuse me. And isn't that just like our Lord? He was hidden away, but when we find him, we get the reward. We get the eternal life. We get the joy of him. We get his healing towards us. And we have to be childlike in order to come to him, right? So this is the, the afikomen. Now, afikomen um, is a, a word that actually means um, dessert because it would be the last thing that we get to eat. We actually, by, at this point, we would have our meal. We would take in a break from our Seder. We'd have our meal. And now this is the last thing. But before we do that, we're also going to have our cup, our third cup, our cup of redemption, cup of blessing. Now remember, earlier we read Exodus 6, 6, in which Adonai promised to bring us out of slavery. But that promise is also made in Psalm 130. It's 130, he says, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. The Apostle Paul, Rav Shaul, referenced this cup of the Passover when he wrote in the first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 10, the cup of blessing that we bless, isn't it a sharing of Messiah's blood? The bread which we break, isn't it the sharing of Messiah's body? Since there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake in one bread. So we take that piece of afikomen, and we remember, for those who know Messiah Yeshua, his broken body. And we thank him, and we partake to it. Yeah, you know, we blessed this already. I always have to look at my notes. Then we lift up our third cup, cup of blessing. And we bless it. Baruch atah denai Eloheinu melech alam Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Now, doesn't that look familiar to you? To many people who grew up in the church? Wait a second, you just took a piece of bread and you just took some wine? This is where it comes from. Now, I'm not saying there's a right and a wrong, 
but many people have asked me, well, why don't you do it weekly at your congregation? I said, well, Jews don't do that. And why? Because the, the way it was given is that it says, when Yeshua says, I, do, I won't do this until I come back. He says, he's talking about the Passover. So he's not going to do the bread and the wine again. So every, it's the Passover that we take those elements uh, in, and we don't do it weekly. Not saying you can't do it. I'm just saying that's when we, that's when we do it. Now, it's customary to have an extra place setting and an extra cup for Elijah. Elijah the prophet. This cup is the cup of Elijah the prophet, Elijah Hadnavi. We hope that this Passover he comes to drink from this cup, for we know that his return will signal the coming of Messiah. Because it tells us that in Malachi uh, 4.5. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of Adonai. So what we would do is we'd have the youngest person go to the door and check to see if Elijah's there. Because if Elijah's there, praise Adonai, it means that he's coming back again. We have glass doors. I looked. I have a young heart, don't worry. He's not there this year, but he might be there next year. We'll wait and see. Or he might come during the year. Now, we're actually getting close to the end of our, our Seder. I told you we'd be, you know, speed-throughing it this year for you. Wouldn't take the three hours we would normally take. But let me take a moment. To give, this is normally where we'd have our meal, normally where we'd have our message. So let me take a moment and speak to you just for a moment in regards to the Passover. Why is it important for both the Jew and the Gentile? I gave you a couple of reasons earlier on, but I want to expand a little bit on what Passover really is and why it's important. Because Passover truly is a redemption story. It's a story that sits out, starts out with the oppression of Adonai's people. Then there's a time of struggle. Then Adonai steps in to free them from the future of death and the enemy, which is Satan, Satan, who's acting through Pharaoh, plotting for them for, uh, so that they would die off, so that they wouldn't be any longer. It's one of life and liberty is led by Adonai for us. It's a retelling of history that's been replayed over and over again throughout Scripture. It's really, people think, well, here it is. It's the Passover story. It's the only place where Adonai, you know, we all know Adonai saves over and over again. And in this book uh, where Passover is, in Exodus, it's told us. In the book of Esther, we're, we're told of how the Jewish people were threatened with death, but Adonai saves them. We're told in the books of Chronicles, in the books of Kings, where the Israelites were enslaved and then freed, and then enslaved and then freed, and, and every time slipping back into the bondage of sin by the enemy of Israel and Adonai. This is what really makes 
all of the old covenant books, the books of good news and the, good, the books of prophecy. Because that's truly what it is. Uh, all throughout, all of them. They may not be considered books of prophecy, but we can see history repeating itself, and we know it's going to keep repeating itself. And even after, we know it has still kept repeating itself because people have still come against God's people. The message of Passover is clear. God is sovereign even when life doesn't make sense or is going smoothly. Passover is part of a much larger story. It runs all the way from Adam and Eve to Abraham to Moses to the Exodus to Messiah and beyond. Because if Passover, if Pharaoh had succeeded and Pharaoh kept the Jewish people under his thumb and eventually Pharaoh would have wanted them dead. He would have killed all the people, eventually destroying them. And the story of God's saving work through Abraham's descendants never would have occurred. There would be no fulfillment in Messiah Yeshua if it wasn't for the Passover story. There'd be no gospel. There'd be no Christian church today. Christians and all believers should read the story of Passover and not just see it as a story about the Jewish people, but a part of their own heritage as well. Now, Christians aren't obliged to observe the Passover, but they are to take to their heart the truth that God unfailingly watches over them and over all of us, all of his own. We see through the story of Passover how he saved the Jewish people so the Jewish Savior could come through the people of his choosing. It is through this story that we know the passage of Romans 8.28 is true. Now we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. As I said earlier, if Pharaoh had succeeded, there'd be no Jewish nation to have a Messiah come out of. But this isn't the only telling of this same story. Even if it's dressed differently, it's still the same story being told over and over of Satan's efforts to stop Messiah, or to, or to maintain control over the world, because that's really what he's trying to do. We see the same struggle between Israel and Satan over and over again, not just because Satan is anti-Semitic, but because Satan is anti-Adonai. It just comes out as anti-Semitic. That's why all people need to be concerned about it. We see it as early as Genesis when Satan is the serpent tries to separate Adam and Eve from Adonai in the garden. We see it in the book of Esther in the festival of Purim, which wasn't just too long ago actually on our calendar, where Haman tries to kill all the Jewish people just out of hatred. We see it all throughout scripture 
right to the very end in Revelation. Revelation 12, starting in verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She's pregnant, crying out in birth pains, in agony to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, a great fiery red dragon that had seven heads and ten horns and seven royal crowns on its heads. The tail sweeps away a third of the stars of heaven. It hurls them to the earth. Now the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that whenever she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with an iron rod. And her child was snatched away to God and to his throne. The woman is Israel. The dragon is Satan, or those he's given his authority to. The child, of course, Jesus, the Messiah. Satan tries one last time in Scripture to stop the plans of Adonai. Revelation 12 is the prophecy of the end as well as the retelling of history over and over again. It's always been Satan's plan to end the Jewish people as a way of stopping the Messiah from being born. He thought that if he could stop the Jewish Messiah from being born, he'd be able to rule the world. He thought that if he could stop them, Messiah wouldn't be born. If he could put an end to the Jewish people before Messiah was born, he wins. He rules. Once Messiah Yeshua was born, he thought if he could kill him in the physical before he had any effect on the world, he wins. He rules. Of course, that was not true. Knowing that that didn't work, he now thinks that if he's able to put an end to the Jewish people so that they won't come to the saving knowledge of who Messiah is, he wins, he rules. We know that's not true because we know the end of the story. But he still tries. He still tries to prevent Jesus, prevent from what happening what Jesus says is going to happen in, in Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who sent to her. How often I have longed to gather your children together as the hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to be desolate. For I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, Baruch Habab Bashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If he can destroy the Jewish people, they will never be able to say, Baruch Habab Bashem Adonai. That's why he's anti-Semitic. That's why that anti-Semitic is really anti-Adonai. That is why we all need to be concerned about anti-Semitism in the world today. The story of Passover is the good news. The Jewish people were as good as dead. 
Slavery and death were proclaimed for them, and there was no way out. But by a miracle, something happened, and there was life for them. Someone stepped up and caused victory for them. In that case, it was Moses and Adonai. For us today, due to our sins, slavery and death has been proclaimed to us. There's no way for us to avoid it on our own either. But someone has stepped up. A miracle has occurred to keep us from eternal death. Messiah Yeshua stepped up to give us eternal life if we accept the gift that he's paid for us. Because he has paid the price, we don't have to pay the price, which is the eternal death. And since he was raised from the grave, we know also someday we will be raised up from the grave as well. This is the good news that's already happened for us. This is really the Passover story for each and every one of us. We come down to the closing of our Seder. The last thing we do for the Seder is the fourth cup. The cup of Hillel, the cup of praise. And is there a better way of ending a Seder than praising him, lifting our voice in praise to him? So we lift up the fourth cup and we say, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth fruit from the vine. Amen. And we take a drink from that fourth cup, and next time we could drain it down because we don't need it anymore. And we conclude the Seder by saying, Next year may we celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem with Yeshua the Messiah, ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. We say, Next year in Jerusalem. And that is our Passover Seder. So, we got through our Seder. As I said, what was it? Eh, pretty close to an hour 15, hour and a half. A lot shorter than we would have in our, in our uh, congregation. Much, much shorter than we'd have in our homes. So, let's open it up, see if anyone's got any questions or comments. So in Scripture, it says this will be your fir the, uh, first month for you. It's another new year. In Judaism, there are actually four new years. You know, and that sounds like a strange concept to have four new years. But we all do it, whether we know it or not. There's a new year uh, on January 1st. There's a new year when the school starts. Everyone says that's the start of the new school year. Businesses have financial new years you know, they pick their own whenever it's going to be. You can have a new year that starts on your birthday. So for us to have multiple new years is not a strange thing. But Adonai says, this will be the new year for you. It's the start that we count. So for the, uh, when, we, when, we, when we count the number of years for uh, the kings, for example, this would be when we start the count for our kings. So... Uh, this is why, this is such a, you know, if nothing else, it shows the importance of it. It gives great weight to it. This is the beginning of your new year. So that, that is the, 
the significance of uh, him saying that this is the new year. Thank you. Another question? You taught them what? Okay. I don't know. I don't know if I said that you couldn't take the Passover meal. I, I, I don't believe I, I said that. If I did, I misspoke. But I don't. I, I don't believe that I did. So anyone, huh? Nah, that's okay. That's all right. Um, so anyone can take the Passover meal. What I'm saying is that there there are those who ask uh, why we don't take a communion every week or every month, and for the Jewish people especially the Messianic Jewish people, of course, our, our Jewish brethren just wouldn't even think about taking it every week or every month because for them, it's only part of the Passover. As Messianic Jews, we think of, the, we think of taking those elements also as only part of the Passover. Now, that is not to say, when you look at Messianic congregations, they run the gamut of the board. You can walk into some Messianic congregations, and they are as Orthodox Jewish as you could get. You wouldn't even know that, they're, that they believe in a Messiah. They do, but all their trappings look extremely Orthodox Jewish. Excuse me, Orthodox Jewish. And on the other end, you can walk into a Messianic congregation and think you walked into a mainstream church. But they do the things that, that some of the trappings of the of the Messianic Judaism. So what we're saying is that in Messianic Judaism, it's really a movement, not a denomination. So each one is going to look different. I do know of some Messianic congregations that take every week or once a month. But for the most part, we believe that it's part of the Passover. And when he says, uh, I won't partake of this until I come back. Uh, he's just like he's not going to partake of it until the next Passover that he's here for. We're, we don't partake of it except for during the Passover season. Okay, we're going to see you, but we'll go here first. Because then, what is that? What is 
Mm -hmm. so, so where do you go to figure out whether you're doing it right or wrong? You go to scripture. You're always, and people are always going to interpret scripture. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. People are going to interpret scripture differently. This is why it's important to... Um, that when you study, you study the word. You know, reading outside sources is really can be very good, but your main focus should be the word. This is why getting to the root of the original word is important. So when you read an old covenant uh, book, you know, knowing what the Hebrew word was, and what the Hebrew context was is very important. When you read the New Covenant, knowing what the, uh, the Greek or whatever the original language of that particular passage that you're reading is very important. Trusting in your pastor and that he knows to go and do this kind of thing and then listening to him and his reasoning is very important. So all these things come together. Are you ever going to get everybody to agree on a single word? I don't think so. He says that in my kingdom there are many, many mansions, and I think that just comes down to it. And, and here's my thing, and here's what I tell my congregation. You're going to see a lot of people say a lot of different things, and they're going to be different here, and they're going to be different here, and they're going to be different here. As long as the main thing is the main thing... I'll let Adonai shake the rest of it out when we stand before him. He said, you know, as long as we can agree, Messiah's Messiah. So, Messiah's Messiah. Here it says Shabbat is on Saturday. Here we, we believe that Shabbat is on Sunday. Here we believe we can have our own uh, a Sabbath day whenever we want, as long as we maintain a Sabbath day. I have my opinion on it. But if you believe the main thing to be the main thing, I'm not going to judge you. I believe you're a brother in the Lord. I may think that I have the right way that I'm doing it, but I'm not going to force it on the world. I believe, just by the way, Shabbat is Shabbat. Shabbat is the seventh day of the calendar. The seventh day of the calendar is Saturday. But that's okay. You believe Messiah is Messiah? Yes? Amen. We're brothers in the Lord. That's where we, that's, that's the main thing. If you can keep the main thing the main thing, you know, don't go, well, you know, this one believes that. You know, this one takes communion. Well, this one believes in this. This one doesn't eat uh, meat on Friday. Let the main thing be the main thing. Don't worry. Adonai is big enough that he'll shake it all out at the end. Do what you think and know is right, because who are you supposed to be standing before at the end time? There you go. So do what you know is right. You had a hand up here. Okay. Got Shabbat? 
Yeah. So, so. So, no, that's a question for your pastor to, because am I going to come in and say to you, your pastor's doing it wrong? No. What do I look like, a schmuck? Here's what I'm going to say. I have my belief. You guys have your belief. Do you have the main thing, the main thing? Therefore, we're all going to be saved. Will Adonai someday tell us differently? Maybe he'll come to me and say, you know, Rabbi, Sunday is not a bad day. Maybe he'll come to a pastor and say, you know, Saturday's pretty good to me. Hey, he'll make his decision. I'll make my decision. If the main thing is the main thing, and you're not getting bad teaching on everything else, uh, especially about the main things, then you know you're going okay. There you go. It's a two-day Shabbat. Cha-ching. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Shabbat starts on a Friday evening. All all days start in the evening. Uh, Genesis, um, um, Genesis one. There was evening, then there was day, the first day. So all Jewish days start on the evening. Do we celebrate Shabbat? Personally, do I celebrate? I would love to have a big meal every Shabbat with all my friends around. Do I? No, I don't. Would I love to? Yes, I would. Why? It's just sometimes life gets in the way. Sometimes I'm just too tired. But it's a great thing if you can, you know. Other people within the congregation absolutely do get together a lot on Shabbat. Sometimes I get to go with them. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I have uh, other people. You know, it's just um, no right, wrong answer there. What do I personally do? I personally get ready for uh, my service the next day <laughs> most of the time. But I've gone out to eat, and I have people in to eat occasionally. Nothing wrong with it. For Shabbat. Yeah, well, well, now there's a different question. Do I go shopping and do I work on Shabbat? That's a different question than if I go and eat on Shabbat on Saturday. So um, what is work on Shabbat? If you ask the rabbis what is work on Shabbat, they have a list of 39 things that it took to build the temple. And if you participate in any one of those 39 things, it's work. So you don't do that on Shabbat. 
kindling a flame, hammering a nail, blah, 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 blah. You know, you can come down to, first of all, it's, it comes down to works, in my opinion, so we don't follow that. But we do, I do keep a Shabbat. That means I don't do work. Now, what does that mean? Here's my perfect example of, of different people seeing Shabbat differently. Uh, after, when we lived up north, we don't do it as much down here, but when we lived up north, my wife loved to go out and garden. So she would come out of her Shabbat clothes and go play in the dirt. For her, it was play in the dirt. It was relaxing. She could pray while she was doing it. She was communicating with the Lord. After a while, I was afraid she was getting too tired. I'd go out. That ain't play to me. That is work, lady. I did not find it relaxing. So, for her it was, for me it was not. Does that mean she was wrong and I was right? I was right, she was wrong. It means we were both right. It means we were able to do what we thought was edifying and we were able to come closer to Adonai while we were doing it. Would I go shopping? Now, here's here food shopping, you know. That, to me, is work. There are sometimes walking through a store is not work. So depends on what I'm going to, to the store for. And there are sometimes my ox has fallen into the ditch and I have to go and buy something for that day. So, but that being said, I look at things and I say, is it work to me? And that's how I decide whether I do something on Shabbat. I'm not going to do work. I obviously preach, I actually teach on Shabbat. Is it work to me? I find it pretty enjoyable, actually. Well, the work is beforehand getting ready for it. But do I crash on Sunday and normally a half a day on Monday? Yeah. <laughs> but that's still my Shabbat because I'm not doing work. And that's what it comes down to. That's Shabbat. All right. Anything else? There, there certainly is a, a Jewish mindset. Um, trying to think of an example of it. Do you have anything specific that you were thinking of? Because I used to have things that I would rattle off pretty, pretty easily, but I'm getting older. Um, a mindset. Okay. Want to expand on that? Because I can't. Oh, well, thanks. Well, thanks. Um, mindsets of, uh, uh, well, for, okay, here's a mindset for, for people who, who think. Let's take the example in, uh, of the sheet, the sheet that came down, and the Lord said, eat. And Peter said, I, I, but there's some non-kosher stuff on there, and I don't do that. 
And he said, eat three times. So do we think that all food is clean? Well, the Jewish mindset is what is food? The Jewish mindset is going back to Leviticus to tell us what food is. So you put a pig in front of us, we don't even think of it as food. It's not that it's unclean food, it's just unclean. It's not food. So if you put that in front of a Jewish person, it's the same as putting a tire in front of someone, a, a Jewish person and saying, eat. It's not food. What do you got for me to eat? So a Jewish mindset goes back to, the, uh, to Scripture in the Torah, the first five books of, uh, of Scripture, to figure out what food is. So obviously, when the sheet came down, now in the Jewish mindset, it says, so that must mean that when, Yeshua, when Jesus, uh, when, when God, Adonai, sends down the sheet, he means something else. What could it possibly mean? Well, this is a classic example of taking something out of context. Because if you read before it and you read after it, what's happened? Well, before it, He's, uh, uh, he, he's gone on, he's, he started thinking about it, and afterwards, he goes to the house of um, Cornelius, thank you, Cornelius, who's a Gentile, who he would not even go into the house of, because at that time, a Jewish person wouldn't even go into the house of a Gentile, because that would make them ritually unclean, and then he wouldn't be able to go into the temple, or a sanctuary, or, or a synagogue after that, until he did his bath and it became clean again. So the whole idea is that he wasn't being told, and he says this later on. He says, oh, now I know what the vision means. The vision was don't call any man unclean, not anything of food as unclean. So a Jewish mindset is, now I know what food is, and pig ain't food. Shellfish ain't food for me, and therefore, when the sheet comes down, it couldn't have meant food. So even in, in, in interpreting the New Covenant scriptures, you think, first you have to see what is your base? What does the Old Covenant say? Because we know, what, what do I tell people? about the New Covenant, there's nothing new in the New Covenant. It's all covered in the Old Covenant first. There's nothing new, right? Uh, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. Well, it went all the way through to all of the Scripture. It's all God-breathed. It's all true. But it's not new because he gave us everything in the first five books. After the first five books of instructions, the rest of it's commentary. After the commentary, the rest of it is a coming to life. After that is revelation where it will come to life again forever. And that, that, that's a Jewish mindset, and then on top of that, a Messianic Jewish mindset. All right. We're just about to wrap up, it looks like. Anything else? You must say quick hits. No? 
We bless our children every week because there is, we all know, there's power in words. That's why we pray out loud too, right? There's power in words and there's power in, the, in an agreement of prayer. So, we, so there is that power of blessing and that's why we bless. That's why we speak to God every day. That's why we speak over our children, why we speak, why, why when we speak words, they should be blessing and not curses. Because just as, as powerful as your, as your words are for blessings, they are powerful for curses too. And as people of God, we were not called to curse. Amen. Awesome, thank you. <clears throat> I want to bring a, a couple things, and I'm not going to take any more than five minutes to, to do this, I promise. Um, but I want to reread uh, one of the scriptures that he opened up with in Colossians 2. It says this in Colossians 2, and this is a different version, just to um, kind of help take the point home, if you will. Colossians 2, verse 16. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. These rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. Christ himself is that reality. So I think it's important to remember, you know, what the rabbi is saying is that just because we don't necessarily do this or no one does this, this doesn't make you right, Okay. I want everyone to, we're not talking about a, a religious practice here. We are all in agree, agreement that doing this or not doing this is not the thing that makes us right with God. The only thing that makes us right with God is Messiah. Amen? Amen? Having said that, I want to read a scripture in Galatians because I think this might, kind of brings it home to the point of why we did this. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 through 29. For you are all, everyone say all, sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ and you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, we're neither Jew nor Greek, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And the reason why I wanted to read that is because just like Rabbi Larry said, this story of Passover and the, the, the Jewish people being freed from slavery in, in Egypt, this is our story. And the reason we're bringing light to that is simply this. We celebrate so many things in the church, and we have looked over celebrating our very own story. The church has looked over the importance and the beautiful story of Passover. And I don't know what we are going to do with this. I would like to think that we're going to take this and start some sort of Passover or some sort of Seder demonstration. I don't know what we're going to do with it. This is something for next year. This is something for understanding what the culture of this house is going to look like. But I do know that what, what Passover is, we, we've got to stop looking over that and realize it's our story. And how dare we not celebrate our Passover story 
but we'll celebrate bunny and eggs. So I think it's the, the, the focal point that we need to leave with tonight is, let's remember, this is our story. And it's, and it's a story that is continuing, that the blood that, that, that I, he, you said something that I, I thought was amazing. Um, not just that the, the blood over the doorposts is the, the Jesus' blood. You know, that's the magic, if you will. That is, that is the power, our faith and trust in Messiah. But you said something else, that the feasts that you're going to talk about next week are signposts pointing toward the Messiah. Why are we trying to add so much of Western culture when Jesus has given us the signposts? If we would just embrace the signposts, maybe we would stop having to work so hard to actually have time for a, what's the word? Shabbat? Shabbat? Shabbat, Shabbat. I call it day of rest. <laughs> Whatever. But that's the point. And I don't want anyone to, 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 to leave here confused that we're, we're, we're trying to figure out the exact thing to do because we're not worried about checking off boxes. But we do need to realize that this is reason to celebrate. Amen? Amen? Let's stand and we're going to pray. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we thank you for all you've done. We thank you that you have taken us out of slavery and into a redeemed life in you, Lord. We thank you for all you've done for us, what you continue to do, and what you're bringing us into. Lord, we just give you praise tonight. Have your way and continue to, to shine light on what a set-apart holy culture is supposed to be, Lord. That people look at us and they no longer see us, but they, they see you, Jesus. They see Christ revealed in us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And we pray everybody said, amen. Amen. amen.